Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, and this is a happy, hippie place where magic with a K meets the law of attraction. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 321 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the cookie creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, Putting the K in Magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on blog talk radio. Happy Saturn's Day evening if you are listening to this shortly after it goes live and welcome to the Saturn's Day evening post number 19. I have no idea how many of these I'm going to do. I just randomly did one day. Did one of these one day and heard from you that you all like it, and so I've kept going, but I always feel like I'm on the knife's edge. I don't know. Uh, For those of you who don't know and you're new here, the podcasts that I post on Saturday, Saturn's Day, are uh, rambly, personal. It's like a phone call with the people who listen to the podcast here on Tuesdays, and it's very silly. And it's personal, I guess. And uh, I really enjoy doing it. And I have a lot of fun. But also, it makes me feel even more vulnerable than the Tuesday podcast does. Because on Tuesday, which is originally what Hippie Witch was supposed to be all about, I either do interviews or I come on with a subject matter, right? And I do sometimes after I'm done with that, feel very, very vulnerable. I don't know why I have a major case of TMI. Like, I have to always use myself as an example. Like, look at what an asshole I am and how I resolved this. (laughs) It's like, I'm just constantly, like, throwing myself in the fire. And then afterward, I'm like, did I need to share that with them? I don't know. Or Or sometimes I have flashes of, like, what is my family going to think when they find this? And are they ever going to speak to me again? Uh, Things like that, right? It's just sort of like this low-grade paranoia (laughs) that we're calling vulnerability here today. Doing the Saturn's Day Evening Post feels like that times 10 because I really just talk about I'm silly. I laugh a lot. I talk about all the things I'm into. I share little stories about my life. And then I end up afterward being like, why do I feel compelled to share that with all these people? Because now I feel like super exposed, which might happen to you, right? If you're talking to a group of friends out at dinner and you've had too much wine or you're on a first date maybe and you're very, very relaxed and then on the drive home you're like, why did I tell him all of that about myself, you know? It's just, there's a part of me that's like, don't you dare, don't you dare tone it down, don't you dare shave off who you are to be more presentable, who cares who finds it, who cares what people think, this is about presenting an authentic human being (laughs) and being that. And it's a very uh, hmm, confronting feeling for me. Like I have to constantly 
you know, stuff comes up for me when I feel like that, when I'm feeling very vulnerable and then I have to like examine it. And it's sort of like shadow work in action every single Saturn's day. Right. (laughs) So I'm just like, oh, this is really intense. But there's a part of me that's like, and I kind of like it. So it's like a walking on the knife's edge kind of situation. That's how it feels to me. And uh, what really amplifies this for me, too, is call-out culture. And something happened this week that made me be like, I don't want to do my podcast anymore. (laughs) Don't worry. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just sharing my feelings with you about what it's like to to do this every single week. So I hope, maybe you listen to a lot of other podcasters. I have no idea if this is a reflection of how they feel about podcasting. This is the way I feel because like I said, I have a case of TMI and I end up like just sort of sharing who I really am. Like if you hung out with me at the mall or you were here at my house having cake, like this is the Joanna you would get. (laughs) So I don't know if that's true for other podcasters. There's some I get that feeling from, and I really, really appreciate them for it. Uh, But who knows, you know, and I'm not saying that I share every single thing here with you. I certainly don't. I keep a lot of my life private. It's just that I'm not tailoring my personality, right? So, uh, so what happened this week is my friend texted me to say, like, have you seen the controversy on Twitter about Daniel Laporte? And I was like, no, if you don't know, Daniel Laporte is, I feel like if you listen to my podcast, you know who she is. She wrote the desire map, Firestarter sessions. Before that, she did something called white hot truth. Now she's promoting a program called Lighter. Lighter. It's a hard word to say on air for some reason. It sounds like I'm saying something else. Lighter. Like, I feel lighter today. I feel light. It's called Lighter. And I think that's what it's called. I should have actually written something down. I wrote nothing down. This is just off the top of my head. But um, apparently the imagery that Laporte was using to promote this on Facebook, I think, largely was racist. People experienced it as racist. Although I am certain, I'm not certain, but I feel confident that that was not Danielle Laporte's intention. She was definitely trying to be inclusive. And I'm not going to get into the whole argument of like, is that her place to be inclusive? And But I, I, I saw what people were upset about. Let me just say that. I saw that she was using naked black bodies to promote her program, and she's a white Canadian woman, and for a program called Lighter. <laughs> and that is a big, I mean, I'm not really sure how that made it past her. I know she's got a team of people that she works with, and I don't really know how that made that that past all of them without anybody being like, yeah, you can't put that on the internet. <laughs> but somehow it did. And they were surprised when people were like, that's racist, or you're making me feel very uncomfortable at the very least, right? And so... uh People 
to varying degrees, I think. Like, people are like, you're canceled. I will never have anything to do with Danielle Laporte anything again. Some people uh, were like, yeah, that's problematic, but, you know, okay, we screw up. And then other people just went full on on the attack. It was interesting reading through the thread. Uh, And when you read through threads like that, I personally, I will say this, Black Twitter fascinates me. I have learned so much about the black experience in America from Twitter. I really have. <laughs> and I I kind of just keep my mouth shut and listen and learn because I'm just like, no shit, I did not know that. And also people sharing videos of like what recently happened in Starbucks. Like these two dudes just sitting in Starbucks, like all of a sudden the police are there and putting them in handcuffs for nothing. For nothing, because they're black. Or today, I think, maybe, did it happen today? It was in the news today. Two Native American boys get on a college tour bus to take a tour of the college. And the cops take them off the bus because they were being too quiet and it made a mom nervous. And I I see things like this now primarily through Twitter. And I'm just like, holy crap, I did not know that this is the world I was living in. Like, because everybody has cameras nowadays, because everybody has access to the people that create the mainstream media, and we can kind of create our own media. Like, using social media, we can make something go viral, any kind of injustice. It's really changed the tone of what America is for us white people who did not know because we were ignorant. We didn't see it because it wasn't happening to us unless we were out with our friends and it happened to our friend and we would be like, what the hell? It's very shocking if you aren't a person of color when you finally realize what their experience is and and then try to imagine that worldview of growing up like that and being treated that way, or even not being treated that way, but always having in the back of your mind that you could be treated that way and that you have to be on your best behavior, especially in certain situations, or it could turn out bad for you because of the color of your skin. Is that like the craziest shit ever? That just is mind blowing to me. I don't understand it. I'm trying. I'm trying. So I, I think My take on what happened is literally Danielle Laporte has that white privilege thing going on that we all do. Like, we don't know that that's not our experience. And so you have to tell us. You have to tell us. And um, if you're concerned about something, you know, that is problematic for you. uh, And I... I don't know. She issued an apology right away. It. I don't think it was a satisfactory apology to a lot of people, but I will let you go explore that on your own if you haven't seen it already. I, that All I wanted to say is when I see stuff like that, it makes me sweat a little bit. Not that I'm operating anywhere near the level that Daniel Laporte is operating at. I just want to say that. I'm not comparing myself to her. I do not have that size of a platform at all. But I definitely feel vulnerable putting myself out there. Someone that I have mentioned a million times because this person is completely formative 
is that the way, right way to say this? This person is formative? <laughs> this person's teachings were formative for me in my early years on my both, we'll just say my psycho-spiritual journey. Because for me, personal development psychology really intersects with spirituality, and it's very hard to separate the two things. Tony Robbins, who was Anthony Robbins back in the day before he tried to like hip up his image and before he started swearing and calling himself Tony, he was Anthony Robbins, and he had a book called Awaken the Giant Within that I found when I was 17 years old, and still to this day now, decades later, I still read it. I still pick it up when I just want to refresh something or if I'm having a struggle, and it helps me. I don't know if I just have like an Awaken the giant within kind of brain, like these techniques work for me and I don't care why. I just know that they do. And, and it's been life changing for me. So I, I reference him a lot because I want you to know where I get my ideas. And, um, in addition to all the other people that I reference a lot, like Tony was one of the first and I'm, (laughs) I have to say it. And now it's like, I can't say Tony Robbins uh, without getting yelled at on the internet now. I'm so scared because of what he just did. And and his involved, I, w- I guess I would say, like male privilege. The unawareness of what your presence is like for women, right? Especially when you're almost a giant. Tony Robbins is a huge man. And he was videotaped in, let me just give you the quick Cliff Notes version because I really don't want to get too deep into this. Um, he, He was doing one of his big seminar things where there's bajillions of people there And a woman stood up to say, I think you're getting the Me Too movement wrong. And and she was very cool and very articulate and calm and was just trying to explain to him, like, you have the Me Too movement wrong. It's not about it's not about um, what was the language they were using? I can't think of they they wanted he said something about. Women who are involved in the Me Too movement are looking for a sense of, uh, darn it, why can't I think of the word? It's on the tip of my brain. They want to feel it's not important. It's not validated. There's a word he uses all the time, and now it's just flink right out of my head. Uh, shit, I don't know. Let's say it's a word that means something along the lines. <laughs> Of important and oh oh it's on the tip of my brain. What is it? Significance. People are using the Me Too movement to feel significant. And this woman was trying to explain to him, like, mm, that's actually not what it's about. <laughs> and so his this video emerges of him like challenging this woman, right? And they're they're kind of having like, I would say it was like a friendly argument. But he is overpowering her physically. He gets right up to her and he's doing this thing that he does where he tries to like break through somebody's blocks or break through the, their, their uh, story that they're telling so they could tell a new story. But this was just not the moment for that. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's, he has, they're like holding hands and he's walking her backward while he's telling her this. 
And she's walking backward and she's not like making a big thing about it. But when you look at the video, there's a gigantic man, the man with all the power in the room, the man that all these people paid all this money to see, literally like looming over this small woman while he is forcefully like he's trying to force his opinion on her using like his physicality to do that. So (laughs) you can probably imagine a lot of people were very, 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 very upset about this. I myself was very disappointed. I was like, oh, shit. I happen to know that my heroes and the people that I've learned from and the people that I consider mentors, I happen to know they're human and they make mistakes. So it's not like a deep shock that way. I don't think Tony Robbins is perfect. I don't, hell, I don't think Oprah Winfrey is perfect. And that's saying a lot because I call her Queen O, right? <laughs> but it's still disappointing when that happens, right? I felt disappointed and I felt very curious to know how he was going to respond now that this had gone viral. And he issued an apology. Um, I talked about this on Patreon, by the way, and then I ended up emailing everybody like the next day with the apology saying this was his apology what do you think about it what I think about the apology is he addressed the me too movement and in a very thoughtful way like okay I clearly don't know what I'm talking about and I want to learn I'm open to learn I'm here to learn what he still as of the writing of that apology did not see was that What I mentioned was the physicality of what he did. And I don't even know to this day if he realizes it because he is a big giant man, a big giant white man with a lot of power and a lot of money moving around in the world. That is his perspective. And sometimes we can just be completely blind to other people's points of view, even when it is our job to be, to stepping into other people's shoes and helping them change their lives. So it's interesting too, when I think about the times that somebody has said something to me, like, you can't say that, or why are you doing that? Or that's rude, or that's whatever. And I defend myself in the moment. And then years later, I will catch myself doing what they accused me of. And my mind will race back to that old conversation and be like, oh my God. God, I'm totally doing it. They were right. (laughs) They were right. But if somebody calls you out, especially publicly, especially in a very aggressive way with thousands of other people, I'm sure it's super embarrassing. And if it brings up any kind of shame or is out of alignment with your personal self-image, I feel like it's probably hard to digest everything that people say are saying to you without getting at least a little bit defensive about it and not seeing the whole picture or not hearing everything everybody is saying. So, uh, yeah, I hope that if I ever do something like that, I have the wherewithal to like stop, drop and roll and to take it all in before I issue the apology. Uh, because God help me if I ever go there. And I guess that's what I'm like, what I'm leading with here is like, I am a white Gen X woman born 
and raised in Central California with heavy overtones of Christian fundamentalism and Reagan Republican values. And I have changed a lot from that in the decades since, including my spiritual and political uh, identity. Um, but even like to this day, I remain, for example, a straight monogamous by nature white woman. That's who I am. That's my worldview. That's my perspective. However, I am super open-minded. I want to learn about everyone else's experience and I'm happy to be of service in any way that I can, <laughs> however I can. On my laziest days when I show up here, I just want to make you smile. I just want to have some fun and I want to make you smile. At my most ambitious, I actually really do want to inspire you to create the kick-ass life of your dreams. To have the courage to like look at whatever fear is standing in your way and move beyond that and all of that. That's why I'm here. I don't have a team, not yet anyway. <laughs> I've avoided that for as long as I have been able to. Uh, I don't do market research to find out what you all want to hear. I just show up and do my best. And I will, if I haven't done so already, most likely say something offensive or insensitive at some point. Not on purpose, definitely. For sure, I promise you from the bottom of my soul, not on purpose, <laughs> but I will probably do that because I am human and I'm only operating from this limited awareness that I have. So if that day should come, all I ask is that you please let me know how you feel about it. You can email me at joannadevoe at gmail.com. Let me know how you feel and give me a chance to respond to you directly or publicly, if it's something that I feel I would like to talk to you with the public about, <laughs> which I do all the time. Anyway, but please do that before you go creating the Joanna DeVoe is an asshole hashtag. If you could do me that one small favor, that would be great. I would really appreciate that. I don't want to be a Twitter hashtag. Please, God, no. <laughs> Oh, do you guys feel this even just being on social media? Do you feel like we've moved into this strange, especially let's say after Facebook, like all the Cambridge Analytica stuff that happened. I noticed like when I did the Queen program this round, for example, there were people that bought the program that emailed me and said, is it okay if I'm not in the Facebook group? I don't want to be on Facebook. And I was like, sure. I've had people over the years do that with the uh, Psycho Spiritual Wheel of the Year program. There are people that have just like forever hated Facebook. And that's totally cool. I myself don't really use Facebook. <laughs> I use it. I publish or I promote whatever I have going on. Like today, I will definitely post this podcast on Facebook. Full transparency is because Facebook is the number one lead into my blog. So I will do that on Facebook on my business page. But my personal Facebook page, I really just use to lead the groups that I'm in. And I set them to private so we can have these private conversations. Although, who knows? Who knows? Maybe the White House is pulling up our conversations right now and laughing at us. They totally could be. <laughs> I can't be that paranoid. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Paranoia is an energy zapper, don't you think? Um, so I'm not fond of Facebook, and I totally get it when people are like, yeah, I'm out of here. 
Wow. But also, it's so... I can't give up my Twitter. I don't want to give up Twitter. I love Twitter so much. It makes me laugh every single day of my... Every morning, I'm there almost. There are few days randomly here and there that I take off. But for the most part, I'm there almost every morning laughing my ass off. I have a very special way of using Twitter. I've explained it on Twitter before. I should totally do a how to use Twitter without making your life suck video because there's a very specific way you can use it and it just filters in all the good stuff you want to receive and keeps out, I would say, like 80% of the bullshit that you don't want to see. (laughs) So I've like mastered the art of Twitter and I'm very happy there. And what I love is just the connection. It's so ironic that I'm talking about feeling so vulnerable, like, oh, oh no, I'm like sharing too much. And then there I am on Twitter, like loving that I'm able to connect. That's what I love about doing the podcast too. That's worth pushing through the vulnerability is the connection that I feel with you all. If you I would never in a million years do this. But if I shared with you some of the emails that I get from people who listen to the podcast, you'd be like, oh, my God, because it's just beautiful. People literally share their life story with me. And and you all are amazing people, people with awesome stories of overcoming addiction and fear to go on to, like, live your dream or people sharing with me like I'm in the midst of something horrible happening. Thank you for being like sunny and bright. It, it It's picking me up while I'm going through this. So those are the reasons why I'm able to like push through any like moments of vulnerability. I'm calling it vulnerability. I will say sometimes I wonder like, uh, there must be a fine line <laughs> when you do something like this publicly between paranoia And wisdom, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, dude, don't share everything on the internet. People will come after you and also like, but you're just being paranoid. You have nothing to hide. You have nothing to hide. What are you worried about? I don't know. I don't know. What if I start a program called Lighter and then I decide that it's a good idea to use black naked bodies in my advertising? I don't think I would do that. (laughs) But what if I do something that other people experience as comparable to that? Oh, oh, I guess that's just the sole lesson, right? Just on a really intense level. My God. My God. When I think about that, too, I think, like, it wouldn't being famous be so terrifying in that way. Like, those people must have, they must have some really good drugs. (laughs) Or they're just, like, made of steel. I remember when I first moved to Hollywood to be an actor, like, I must have heard dozens of times that you have to have skin like a rhino to be an actor. You kind of do. You kind of do. And I'm talking to you all. So many of you identify as empaths, right? And I know there's a lot of social anxiety that I hear about from you all and stuff like that. So again, I repeat, like, how do you feel about being on social media? Does it give you like momentary like hits of paranoia or panic? Like, I just need to take this all down. Why am I talking to all these strangers? (laughs) Um, Do you find it liberating? just curious. I'm just curious. Um, there, interestingly, speaking of Twitter, 
I wanted to go on there right before I came to talk to you so I could cut and paste like this whole hilarious thing to you. (laughs) I just wanted to take a cross section of tweets on a totally different conversation that I will tell you in a second. But when I brought my Twitter up, um, I use lists on Twitter. So basically... I'm there, I have a lot now. I feel like I'm up to 38 lists, and most of them are set to private. And it allows me to basically have 38 feeds on Twitter. So if I feel like looking at politics, I go into my politics feed, and I get news only from the people that I want to hear from. If I feel like, oh, I'm feeling witchy, I want to see what witches are up to, I go to the witches feed, and I see that, right? But when I first bring up the Twitter homepage... It shows me the feed that everybody else is seeing, um, but just with the people that I have followed. I don't typically follow people anymore, and I haven't, I've been like this now for over a year, I think. Like, most likely, I will just add you to one of my lists, because that's really how I use Twitter. Unless I see, like, oh my god, this person just got here, and they only have two followers, I'm going to follow them, just to give them a little support. (laughs) Uh, while they're trying to figure Twitter out because I want everybody to be on Twitter and I want them to stay. So I've made a few exceptions. But this woman's post popped up, uh, Chris Zydell. And I don't know if I've ever seen her pop up anywhere before on my feed, but at some point I followed her. And um, her at, she's, she's at Wild Heart Queen. Wild Heart Queen on Twitter is a woman named Chris Zydell, and her she had tweeted something today that showed up at the very top of my main feed, and it was so in think in step with what I'm trying to articulate to you here. My feelings. She said, "Another day, another opportunity to confront my unconscious assumptions about the world." I feel that. I feel that um, confronting your assumptions about the world, you like the world is not the limited picture that you grew up with. Your perspective is one of millions. <laughs> and it's really awesome when you can get to a place of spiritual maturity where you're not so attached to that and you can start looking at the world through other lenses and being like, oh my God. I don't even think I'm a Republican anymore. What is happening to me? (laughs) You start like changing when you start listening to other people. And I'm all about that. Yes, yes, of course. And, um, And just because this woman was interesting, this thing was interesting, I clicked on and was looking at her feed and she's really cool. Wild Heart Queen. She's an artist. She looks like she might be, I'm not going to guess her age, maybe slightly older than me. And uh, very interesting and cool. I had a lot of fun clicking on on her website. Very much about like empowering yourself through art, I think, primarily. Um, That's just a little aside. What I originally went there for was Bill Hader. (laughs) So I... I'm still on season two of Jessica Jones, which I definitely enjoy, but um, I really love Bill Hader, and I kept seeing Barry trending on Twitter, and I was like, damn it, I I was trying to finish Jessica Jones before I started Barry, but I couldn't stand it after so many episodes that I had missed, so I'm like, okay, I have to watch Barry, I have to catch up with this, 
And the first episode, it was madly, madly, madly in love. Madly in love. I've only seen two episodes so far because Adobe is screwing with me. I have to figure out how to fix this. <laughs> but HBO Go on my computer runs through Adobe and it keeps, it's like a skipping record. So like every, sometimes it gets going and it's doing it like every 30 seconds. But when it's on a roll, like we'll say every couple of minutes, it will skip and it will repeat like five seconds of the show before it proceeds forward. And I have watched two episodes this way because I absolutely love Bill Hader and I was just so in love with this show. He's the best. He's the best. Um, so <laughs> I have to fix that before I move on to episode three. But I was talking to my friend Amber and I was like, uh, I love him. I, I think I didn't realize that he like... Is this weird? I feel like he's hot. And and this happened when I saw the movie Trainwreck with Amy Schumer. <laughs> Bill Hader plays the love interest. And to me, I don't know, Saturday Night Live, they're always pulling those crazy faces and acting like such fools. It's very hard for me to look at somebody on Saturday Night Live and be like, oh, yeah, that's hot. <laughs> but on in Trainwreck, he played the love interest and he was so sweet. I was like, oh, my God, I would totally go out with him. He's adorable. I love it. And so uh, when Barry came back on, I was having the same thought, like, yeah, is Bill Hader hot or am I just insane? So I saying this to my friend Amber, and she's like, yeah, I've always thought that. I was like, you have? <laughs> Where have I been? So what did I do? I turned to Twitter and I wrote, you can find magical stuff on Twitter. I wrote the words, Bill Hater Hot, just to see what would come up. And here is what I found. <laughs> I am not alone. I am not alone at all. There are so many others like me. So I will read you a, just a little cross section of some tweets that I found. One is by a... Uh, Let's just say there's an at symbol in front of all of these, so I don't have to say at every time, okay? This is their Twitter handle. Twitter handles start with little at signs. So, Bfish, Bfish said, We don't talk enough about how hot Bill Hader is. <laughs> no, we do not. We're talking about it now, Bfish. Uh, and then Internet Lauren said, Obviously, Bill Hader is hot. Next question. <laughs> GM Paella? I don't know how you say her name. She said, uh, yes, I've been drinking the Haterade since the beginning. <laughs> she also said, um, I met him briefly. Wait, is this? No, this is someone else. Shelby Boring. Shelby Boring says, I met him very briefly a few years ago and died. He was so dreamy. I have been a ghost for many years now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then also in that little Twitter thing, it said um, there was a link to an actual article. There were two links to articles about why Bill Hader is hot. But the one I clicked on. Um, oh, no, here, this is funny, too. Sorry, I'm jumping around because I'm reading a cut and pasted Twitter feed on a PDF file. It's very odd. <laughs> Somebody else wrote, I just thought this is so funny. And I don't love the word bitch, but I'm going to say it right now because... That's what this person said. Um, maybe this was Shelby Boring. I feel like I miss 
misappropriating who said what. Whatever. Okay, she said, I just saw an article titled, Bill Hader is totally kind of hot. And bitch, we've known this. This is not new, brand new information. <laughs> I didn't know. I thought it was my weird train wreck secret. <laughs> so then in addition to that, there's an article on Flare.com that says, The internet just realized that Bill Hader is hot. Someone on Twitter wrote, Bill Hader is a sexual orientation, and I've never felt so seen. <laughs> it's comforting in a way, right? To have your taste validated by the Twitterverse, but also alarming as you realize that your chances of scoring a date with Bill are greatly diminished by the hordes of women waiting in line to slip him their numbers. <laughs> Another dude that I do, I want to mention that I do not think is hot. Let me be very, very clear about this. I do not think he is hot. But I kind of sort of fell in love, like, in a nerdy way with Rod Rosenstein last night, most unexpectedly. <laughs> How do these things happen? I don't know. And um, I was watching Rachel Maddow, as I do, because I love Rachel. I think she's a badass. And... She was showing clips of an interview, both a speech that Rod Rosenstein did this last week and an interview that he did. And in the the part that really like got to me is this interviewer hands him a slip of paper or tries to hand him a file or something. And he goes, this isn't a subpoena, is it? Which like totally broke the ice and everybody's laughing he gets the paper and he opens it up and he goes, oh, I totally know what this is. And he starts riffing on his hero whose name I can't remember. Holy crap. Is it is Robert Johnson? Is that the name? Is it something like that? For those of you who know, <laughs> it's like his personal hero, this patriot of America who stood for justice. And Rod Rosenstein starts reading this quote and spewing all these facts about this guy and about the justice system in this super, super nerdy, passionate way that made me see his soul. I saw that he actually loves this country and loves his job and that he's doing his dream job and and that he has that nerd passion. I just love nerds. I love nerds. Like all these factoids that he's just rattling off at the top of his head. You can see he's just been dying for somebody to ask him about this his whole life. <laughs> and he, he just lit up like a child. You, I love when you can see grown-ass men or women you can see their inner eight-year-old like shining through when they get really excited and nerdy about something. And so it actually got me choked up. It got me all choked up. I called my friend Dawn. I'm like, this is so weird, but I just got choked up watching Rod Rosenstein. She's like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> so of course she had to watch them too, right? But we had this whole conversation too about um, just everything that's going on in the country right now. It's like, this feels like we're living a more refined version of these of the 60s. I feel like we're going through all of the issues of the 60s now in a different way. It's a different time, but it's like so many of the same issues. And we were talking about politically, of course, like all of the political stuff that's happening. But also, too, like I think... Um, like I see free love, for example, in the 60s. I see that being 
reflected back now in this more sophisticated way with uh, so many people I know are in polyamorous relationships and we're talking about gender fluidity and, and sexuality in these really new ways that feel, I don't know, like new and shocking for people of earlier generations, probably in the same way that free love was. And it feels more refined and sophisticated in that it's like a more grown-up decision that people are making about their own sexuality instead of just getting really, really high and fucking everybody at the same time. <laughs> but it's a, it's an evolution of that, like, in a way. Like, I think that free love moment had to happen for people to like have their minds opened up a little bit to where we could actually like somehow survive the 80s and get to this place where it's like now I really actually personally know quite a few people in polyamorous relationships and I was thinking about the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter and how these are just continuations of the movements that were so hot and prominent in the news in the 60s. It's like, and here we are again. Here we are again. Hopefully we're evolving and we're just putting the finishing touches on these changes. But when you think about the decades, the decades that have passed, my God, progress is slow when you're trying to change an entire world, right? <laughs> so... um that was an interesting thought. And uh, something... Uh, yeah, do I want to talk about this? Do I want to talk about this? Arguing with myself? I guess I'll talk about this. I, I will share a picture or a video. I would prefer the video if my sister will email it to me. It's stuck in my phone, so I'm asking her to <laughs> email it to me. Of my kid. That will be, I think, if I can get this video, I will make it be the... Um, the lead-in from social media to this podcast of my kid, something my mother did yesterday that, like, totally is adorable and annoying all at the same time. Um, I don't have my son this weekend. He went to Bakersfield to be with my mom, his grandma, and his grandpa. And uh, we met. We, we meet halfway between Bakersfield and Los Angeles in a place called Castakes. So we're sitting at Starbucks. I haven't seen my mom in over seven weeks because she works as a missionary and at this this last mission they did was in Greece, working with refugees in Greece. So we meet at Starbucks. We're exchanging, not exchanging. She's just giving us presents. She brought us stuff from Greece. I asked her to bring me back anything from an olive tree. <laughs> the last time they went to Greece, I wanted, I was insistent. You have to bring me something back with Athena on it. And I didn't think she would do that. Um, and she did. She brought me back this coin that has like Athena. It's a ring. It's a ring, but it's like one of those coin-looking rings, and Athena is on the coin, and I love it, and I wear it every single day. I don't think she knows what Athena means to me, but I think you might know, because <laughs> I talk about her a lot. This time, I was like, I'm not going to push my luck with the Athena stuff, so I'll just ask her for something from an olive tree. And so she brought me like a whole bag of stuff from an olive tree, like actual Kalamata olives, and my favorite thing she brought me is this wooden spoon. It's so beautiful. I think olive wood is just beautiful, but she brought olive oil, a lip balm made out of olive oil, body butter made out of olive, all these olive things, right? So we're getting presents and it's all groovy. Tanner gets a grease, 
greets golf balls, which he's like the golf ball kid. And so we're super happy. And um, and they're like, okay, well, we have to go. We have plans for Cinco de Mayo. And I was like, uh, okay. So I get home, and my house is just empty, and I'm done with my work for the day, and I don't have my kid to take care of. So I like just had this moment where I was like, I don't even know what to do with myself. I'm so busy all the time and working all the time <laughs> and used to like doing things for, for my kid all the time that I was like, and what am I doing? I'll just call my mom and check on her and see what they're doing. And she, she's like, oh, well, I'll actually, I'll send you pictures of what we're doing. And I was like, okay. And so she starts sending me pictures of her, her husband, Grandpa Doug, and Grandma Doug. My, it's so cute. My mom's husband's name is Doug, and Tanner calls my mom Grandma Doug. <laughs> so my mom, my mom's husband, Grandma and Grandpa, they're wearing these green Cinco de Mayo shirts, and Tanner's wearing one. So they're all wearing match, matching T-shirts, and it's adorable. I'm like, oh, my God, how cute. They look like racing T-shirts. My sister is a runner, so I figure they're going to go cheer my sister on at a race, which is something – this is a very normal thing to do in my family. <laughs> my dad is a runner, too, so it's – Everybody's always wearing like running t-shirts and stuff. It's not unusual at all, but it was like funny and cute that they were all matching and wearing these green t-shirts. I was like, oh, it's adorable. A couple hours later, my sister is talking about my kid running a race. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she sends me a video of Tanner like loping along, like not like a, a runner's run, but like he's like kind of moving it like he's... <laughs> sort of jogging right <laughs> and he's got a number on his shirt and I was like what is it what what is happening like nobody told me they did a, a 2k a 2k race and my son has never walked in a race or did anything and I'm so I'm like texting my mom like what the hell are you talking like you put my kid in a race and you didn't even tell me about it and she's like oh it was just a last minute thing we were just gonna walk it because Doug and I can't we can't run. We're just going to walk it. But when they said go and the runners were off and running, Tanner just started running with them. So we let him. <laughs> so my kid ran his first 2K, two miles uh, yesterday, and I missed it. Is that just so rude? Like super cute and also rude, right? Like shouldn't the mother know and be there so I can dork out and take a bunch of pictures? I'm sure he was super happy and had an awesome time, but I, I was like feeling left out, like nobody told me. So that happened. It's very cute. I'll I'll post the video if I can um, get get a hold of it, and then I think I'll just wrap this up. Yeah, this one. What was this one? Not as silly as they usually are. Deep thoughts. Deep thoughts on a Saturn's day. I hope all is well in your world. Until we meet again, much love to you. Peace. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.